1: Chris and Amy on KMOX. It is good to have you with us this morning, and we certainly appreciate you listening on the Odyssey app or KMOX.com, 98.7 FM, uh, 1120 AM, of course. We go back to the Quiver River Electric guest line this morning. Journalist and author Mati Friedman uh, Friedman is uh, covering the conflict that is happening from Jerusalem right now, and the journalist and author is with us on KMOX. Mati, we appreciate your time. Thank you for giving us time today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So first, for people who are not aware of the perspective that you are coming from and the work that you are doing right now, for the listener, explain to them exactly the way you see things happening there.
2: Sure, I mean, we're approaching the two-month mark of a really grim and depressing war that began on October 7th with an attack by, by Hamas and a, a massacre of civilians, one of the darkest moments, I think, in Israel's history, certainly the darkest moment that I've seen in about 30 years of living and, and reporting in this country, and the the attack of October 7th triggered a war that's unfolding as we speak in, in Gaza, there are about 200 uh, israeli hostages who remain in gaza we've seen several dozen released as part of a, s- a temporary ceasefire over the past couple of days but the war does not seem to be over and um, i guess uh, yeah, i'd love to be a bit more cheerful but uh, but I, I guess you didn't invite me to speak about cheerful matters this is a very dark moment for us and we're not sure exactly what the next weeks or months hold
3: Monty, back in 2014, you wrote a story, What the Media Gets Wrong About Israel, and it documents your time, your experiences and observation, working for the Associated Press, looking at the coverage coming out of Gaza and Israel. And right now, of course, we talk about the fog of war, the confusion of the moment, but that confusion has been compounded by information that hasn't gotten out or the way it gets out over the past decade, really. Uh, Can you explain uh, your time in the Associated Press and what you observed about how uh, journalism operates uh, in that area?
2: So I was an AP correspondent based in Jerusalem between 2006 and the very end of 2011, and I was a reporter in the field, and I was also an editor on the desk in Jerusalem. I just want to make clear that I'm not there now, so I'm not speaking with immediate knowledge of how— the international press is covering the events now, but I do have a kind of a broad sense of how it works as an insider for, for quite a while. And I think that often the media makes things harder to understand. And it does this for, for several reasons. One is quite simply the desire for an easily comprehensible story. So sometimes what we do as reporters is we take very complex events and we boil them down to something very simple because we want readers in you know, Toronto, which is where I'm from, or in St. Louis to be able to understand Highly complex events that we're that we're covering, and what that often leads to is an oversimplification so grave that the actual events become incomprehensible. Another thing that happens is that uh, American reporters will read American politics into events abroad, and will kind of imagine that foreign countries correspond to American ideas about about politics, about society, I think a good example of that was the Iraq invasion when, you know, I'm I'm 46. I'm of an age where that was really one of the central events. And and, and Americans really imagined that Iraq was a country that could be like America if only the dictator in Iraq was removed. And of course, that was a misunderstanding of Iraq. And I think journalists played a role in generating that misunderstanding, which of course led to tragic consequences, not just for hundreds of thousands of Iraqis who died as a result of the invasion, but also for about 4,500 American soldiers who died in the in that war so I think it's very important to understand foreign societies on their own terms and and make sure that we're really reading reality and not imagining the reality that we that we want to see just very briefly I also saw that many reporters had become something much closer to activists than journalists and many of my colleagues were not primarily interested in explaining a complicated situation to readers who were very far away they were actually something much closer to activists who are fighting for justice or fighting for their idea of justice by using coverage. And I think we've seen that in many stories, not just in the Israel story, but here it was definitely playing out in the way we covered the Israeli Palestinian conflict, the Israeli Arab conflict, Israel's broader problems with, uh, with the Middle East and the Islamic world, and particularly the dilemma in Gaza, which really started to unfold when I was at the AP. Um, you know, around 2008, we see the first really bad round of violence after Hamas took over Gaza, and there are many ways in which the press has malfunctioned and has made it, I think, much harder for an American readership or uh, you, you know broader Western readership to actually understand the complexities of. Um, of, of Israel's position in, in the Middle East, and I could go on about this uh, maybe for several hours, but I imagine that your listeners don't have endless patience. So I'll let you ask oh, another
1: question. They've got so much patience. We have, <laughs> we have no idea. Um, Mati Friedman, a journalist and author, is with us, and I, I, I think people get wrong the idea of objectivity and reporting, that they think it has to be both sides. Everything has to be equal time to each side, and then you you know, you, the listener, or you, the reader, need to decide what, what's, what's real. Um, is, that, is that idea, is that conflict, is it worse in a situation like this? Because I, it seems to me that, I mean, we talk about American politics all the time and how that is, that is prevalent now in our politics and has been. Is it happening now with this event uh, in, in Israel?
2: I think so. I mean, it's a great question to what extent the journalist has to be objective. I think the journalist doesn't have to be equal in, you know, you don't have to give equal time and um, equal, you know, listening to every position. But you do have to make clear to the reader the motivations of all of the actors driving a given event. And um, and I think that hasn't been done to a sufficient extent in, in this story. I don't think, for example, that the average American news consumer understands what Hamas is or what their ideology is. Um, Hamas has a a founding charter, which you can actually find online, which not only declares that Israel is illegitimate, it must be destroyed, but that Jews um, are responsible for the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution and for engineering both world wars. So we're talking about an organization that is not functioning in the kind of rational headspace where most, you know, Western uh, people are, uh, the, the charter openly calls for the murder of Jews. And I think that this is something that that it's just very hard for you know normal Western people to accept, and it was certainly hard for me when I when I arrived here. So I think that when you cover a story like this, you really have to make clear what how the sides see it. And I think you can definitely make a case, you know, for the Palestinian side. This is a, a tragedy for people in Gaza. We're talking about a massive civilian catastrophe in Gaza, and it's utterly heartbreaking to see it um for Israelis this is an existential war we can't leave Hamas in place and there is no other way to fight an organization that is indistinguishable from a civilian population and we're left with this kind of human tragedy where you can try to understand where both sides are are coming from and not fall into the kind of dynamic of a children's story where there's a princess and a dragon and I think often people want that clarity they want to know who the good guy and the bad guy is and they, they want to know you know who is the princess in a given story and who's a dragon and and often in, in real events on planet Earth, there isn't a princess or a dragon, and we're left with this very human mess. Where the journalist's job is to really spell out the factors in a given situation, and not necessarily to tell the reader who is who is right. And I think that journalists have often, and certainly in the past decade fallen into the trap of thinking that they need to help the reader reach the correct political conclusion and that's true not just in the Israel story it's true in domestic politics in the United States I mean if you want to you know more left-wing fantasy you know where to find it and if you want a more right-wing fantasy you know you know where to find that too but there are fewer and fewer news outlets which will just tell you what is going on and um and I regret that change I think that journalists the job of journalists our job is to try to explain you know, to the extent possible with the flawed tools at our disposal, what is going on on planet earth so that our listeners and our readers can make good decisions about how to live on planet earth and who to vote for and, and how to behave as citizens in a democracy. And, and I'm afraid that we, we fail at that too often.
1: Uh, Amy and I, and you, you touched on something that Amy and I were, were just discussing uh, about 40 minutes ago. And it is the idea. My perception is that in particular in the West, there are a lot of people, especially younger people, that don't really understand. And there's a lot of ignorance of the history of of the conflict, which has been ongoing and what certain words mean and what certain phrases mean more so than it is just straight up vitriol, even though that exists. How how prevalent do you think that is that just the, the sheer ignorance of of people who don't really understand what is going on or what they're saying when they protest, as opposed to people who know exactly what they're saying when they protest
2: I agree with you 100%, I think there's a lot of ignorance and I I don't, you know, I don't really see a lot of malevolence, there is some of that as well, of course, unfortunately, but I I see a lot of well intentioned people who just don't have a, you know, a a firm grasp on what's going on, which is fine, of course, you know, how on earth would someone in St. Louis have a firm grasp of the complexities of middle east politics i mean i've been here for 30 years reporting the story and i barely have a grasp of the politics so it's a lot to ask of you know some 20 year old or 30 year old or 60 year old in in america or anywhere else to to really understand what's going on here but what what we have here is a very unique mix of ignorance which is again fine you can be ignorant about foreign countries that's totally okay i mean i'm ignorant about lots of foreign countries but you have a mix in the west of ignorance and very deep emotion so you have you know people who at the same time know nothing about what's going on here but are out on the street protesting about it and that is very unique so you know they're not you're not going to see a lot of protests about the the plight of the kurds in eastern turkey you're not even going to see that many protests these days about ukraine and russia there are you know dozens probably hundreds of ethnic conflicts going on in the world and most of them are of no interest to people in the united states this one is different. So it's true that ignorance is is fine. I mean, I, I think it's totally fine not to know anything about foreign countries, but we do see something very unique here, which is that mix, that very dangerous mix of people who at the same time don't know anything and feel very strongly about it. And that's where we get into some trouble.
3: Yeah. Uh, Mati, I, I've been very discouraged by the protests that we're seeing, specifically protest language that. Uh, champions Hamas. And, and and that's why I've been so discouraged. And I could talk to you all day. I know we don't have a lot of time, but, but speaking of Hamas and us over here not understanding the dynamics exactly of what's going on in Gaza, you have some very specific examples of working um, your time and, and knowing what journalists have to deal with in Gaza, which is run by Hamas, which means information, a lot of times information that gets out of Gaza has to first be cleared by Hamas. And how that, the way that was handled, you took issue with. Can you just explain that so listeners kind of understand when they're reading a news story, perhaps what some of that has to go through?
2: I think that's a very important question for journalists and for anyone consuming journalism. Press organizations often run into trouble when they try to report from repressive regimes. And it's not just Gaza. It could be Iran. It could be North Korea. and There are many other examples. When you report under a repressive regime, You have to make some kind of accommodation with the regime in order to function in order to get access you have to compromise because you know undemocratic governments are not going to let you run around freely reporting there are certain things that you're not allowed to report and of course that's true in gaza anyone operating inside gaza is operating under the Coverage rules established by Hamas. And I think it's also quite important to understand that the work of the international press in Gaza is done almost entirely by Palestinians who are from Gaza and who live under Hamas rule. So I'm not saying that they're not good journalists, not at all. I've worked with wonderful journalists from Gaza. I'm not saying that they're not good people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that people who live in Gaza under Hamas rule cannot cross Hamas. And there are very clear rules about what you can film and what you cannot film. There's a reason that we're hearing about a lot of civilian casualties and not about military casualties. Israel is attacking Hamas in Gaza. The Israeli military released an estimate today that more than 5,000 Hamas fighters are among the dead, but, but Hamas isn't telling that to reporters. What Hamas is telling the reporters is that many, many civilians are being killed, which, which is true, by the way, many civilians are being killed. And it's tragic, although the numbers being given to journalists by Hamas are unverifiable. We have no idea if they're, if they're true or not. But when you operate in Gaza, you have no choice but to play along with the coverage script that Hamas is imposing. You know, another good example, thousands of rockets are fired from residential areas in Gaza. You're not likely to see footage of it you'll see footage of the Israeli airstrike that happens a minute after the rocket launch, and you'll see rubble, and you might see civilian casualties, but you won't see the rocket launch that triggered the strike because you're not allowed to film it. You're not going to see a lot of footage of Hamas fighters doing what fighters do, which is you know, fight. You're not going to see it, and there's a reason for that. It's The reason is that people know what they are allowed and not allowed to film, and all of this adds up to an impression that the that, uh, that, that, all of the harm being wreaked in gaza is happening to civilians happening to innocent civilians and that is done in a very cynical way by hamas in order to inflame world opinion against israel and get the world to blunt israel's response and to tie israel's hands and this has been used by hamas by the way successfully about a half dozen times in the 16 years they've been running gaza they trigger an israeli response they put their own civilians out in front uh, causing civilian casualties they get the international press to film those casualties that Inflames world opinion and the world tells Israel okay that's enough and Hamas lives to fight another day which is how we got to October 7th so Israel in terms of Israeli society is determined to finish it this time if we don't finish Hamas right now this is going to happen in a year it's going to happen in two years it's going to happen in five years and it's going to happen in 10 years and we have to destroy can't allow this threat to exist on our on our border and the Hamas script where we you know where they use civilians in a very cynical way that i think really many western people just find it hard to believe that this is actually happening but it is where they use civilians in a cynical way in order to blunt the israeli response in order to get the kind of pr that they want we can't play this game anymore and it it's awful I mean, it's just awful to see these are my neighbors this is you know gaza's about an hour and a half from where i'm sitting i don't wish anyone there Harm. I just wish they could have good lives, and you know, we could all live alongside each other in peace. In order for that to happen, Hamas has to be removed as a threat on our border, and unfortunately, that is going to look extremely ugly, and it's going to be tragic. And I hope all I can hope is that in a few months we'll all be in a better place.
1: Mati Friedman, we really do appreciate your perspective. In fact, we we would probably like to check in with you again sometime soon, if that's okay.
2: It would be a pleasure.
1: Mati Friedman, journalist and author with us on KMOX. And if you missed any part of that interview, would highly recommend going to KMOX.com or the Odyssey app or wherever you get your apps and wherever you get your podcasts and go back and listen to it later. It's Chris and Amy on KMOX.